Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please subscribe to the Epicenter Church from Epicenter Church. Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Epicenter Church, visit epicenterchurch.com.au. So most of us, can we have the lights on so I can see who I'm talking to, please? Uh, Most of us here regardless of whether you go to church consistently or not, would have an idea that Easter's fundamental. Like Easter is an important or the most important date on the, the Christian calendar. Some of you may not really realize exactly why it's imperative, but I think most people, whether Christians or not, would have an understanding that Easter has a fundamental importance in our role as Christians. But for those who are kind of practically minded perhaps, You may be wondering today or asking the question, has Easter got any relevance on my life today? This is an event that took place some 2,000 years ago. How has it got any relevance on my life currently today? The question perhaps is, why is Easter or is Easter at all relevant or is it just something that we do religiously year in, year out, a celebration? I bet there's people here, whether they're here physically or they're watching online, that have another thought that this is just another Easter message where the pastor bangs on about the hope of Easter and that Jesus is the hope of the world and that because of this day, because of this celebration, because of what we're celebrating today, all the world is being reconciled back. For some people that have that thought, Easter is just another empty promise. An empty promise that the church portrays, an empty promise that the Bible portrays, an empty promise that God portrays. If perhaps if you're sitting in one of those categories and you were to ask me this question, you say, Rob, prove to me that the story of Easter has any relevance on my life. I wouldn't start with the resurrection of Jesus. As fundamental and as important and as pivotal as that is, in our lives. I don't think I'd start there. If you were to ask me, how can this story actively affect my life? How can it help me get along with my boss? My boss is a tyrant. He's a monster. I cannot, it could be a she, it could be anyone. I cannot stand this person. They are exceedingly hard to work with. How does Easter practically help me in my life? For those that are struggling with marriage issues, isn't it the same, same question? How can Easter actively have any role, any play, any impact on my marriage? For those that have got problems with just their life in general, how can Easter actively help me, pick me up from the slums of where I am and take me to somewhere else? Like what is Easter? Does it have any impact on us at all? How can it help me deal with my family issues? If you were to, if you were to ask me, That question or any question similar, I wouldn't start. I wouldn't start with an answer of trying to convince you the spiritual significance of Easter. Nor would I try and convince you of your need for a saviour. Though all of the above are fundamental elements of our faith as Christians, but I don't think I'd start there. I think I'd start somewhere earlier. And I think I'd start trying to paint a picture of The story of what Easter is, you see, I think that Easter is so powerful that we've missed the practical side of Easter. Easter has become so detached in some ways from our day-to-day lives on how it actively can affect and plays into our lives that we've completely missed the relevance of how it impacts us. So I wouldn't start with all that. I'd start with trying to prove to you that Easter is practically 
powerful. Easter is practical to our day-to-day lives, regardless of who we are, where we are, what we're going through. Easter has significance to us. And so today what I want to try and uncover for us is that regardless of where you are, the story of Easter is relevant to us. Regardless of whether you're in the best season of your life, Easter is relevant to you. Or perhaps you're in the worst season of your life, Easter is relevant to you. It has relevance, it has impact on your life. Easter, for those that have been around Easter for long enough, and everyone's been around Easter, should know this. Easter starts on Saturday and it generally ends on, not sorry, on Friday and generally ends on Sunday. We have Good Friday, then we have Saturday, and then we have Resurrection Sunday. Three days, yeah? That's the general celebration of Easter. We've got Easter Monday as well. But the general celebration the church focuses on is Good Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so Easter's broken into those three days, and Friday, if we go through the narrative, which we'll read through some of it in the Scriptures in a minute. But the Bible portrays Friday as this. It was a day that Jesus was captured, He was beaten, He was flogged, and ultimately He was crucified. Saturday is the day that He was in the tomb, and then Sunday is the day that He rose back to life. That's the general depiction of the Easter story as the Scriptures portray it. So Friday is a day of pain and of suffering. That's what Jesus experienced on that initial Friday. It was a day of pain, of suffering, of trauma. On, on Saturday, it changed to something different. It was loss. It was confusion. It was doubt. It was, there was an unsureness of what was going on or what could happen. And then on Sunday, there was a day of victory. And so Easter can be broken into three different days. And perhaps for all of us, can I suggest this, that we go through those seasons of life throughout our lives. We go through a Friday, a day of pain, of suffering, of struggle. We, do, we go through Saturdays where we're confused, where we're lost, where we're doubtful, and we go through Sundays where they're victorious or we're supposed to. But perhaps some of us here, we've never actually really experienced Sunday. Technology is beautiful, isn't it? Specifically when your notes go everywhere and Kids' games start playing on your tablets. Fantastic. We all go through different seasons of life, and so perhaps for some of us, we've never necessarily experienced what a Sunday is because the start of our life was so traumatic, we've never been able to get to that place where we feel victorious, where victory has ever ended our life. We're still stuck in the rat race, in the grind of trying to survive. Perhaps for other people that... Well, that sounds somewhat similar, but no, I've had seasons in my life where it's great, where it's beautiful, where it's victorious, but the vast majority of it, I've been living in a Saturday and a Friday. And perhaps for the, for the other group of people, well, it's not that that you've experienced, but rather what you've experienced is the ups and downs, the twists, the turns of life. So Easter for us is the same as it was for Jesus. There was a Friday, there was a Saturday, there was a Sunday. Easter depicts, the story of Easter is deep, it's meaningful, it's spiritual, it's all sorts of things. But the story of Easter also is exceedingly practical in that it depicts seasons of life that we'll all go through, we'll all journey through over and over again. No one. No one is immune from bad seasons. No one is immune from having tumultuous seasons that are just an epic struggle to try and get through. For instance, parenting can be a joy of extreme 
joy and pleasure and ecstasy. Can all the parents agree with that? Can all the parents also agree with that parenting is an exceeding endurance sometimes that you're not sure if you're going to finish, whether by your means or by some external means. You're going to give up or you're going to make it give up. Like parenting is exceedingly difficult at times, but parenting is exceedingly joyful. Perhaps for those of you that have just hit the teenage years, parenting has been great, but now it is calamity. Now the boys have turned up, or now the girls have turned up. Now there's dating and there's all sorts of conversations you didn't want to enter into, and you've been putting off and off and off all these talks that you're now having to go through, and it's, it's embarrassing and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. They're the seasons of parenting. Or when you've got the perfect mannered child, and this is what happens to us, that never seems to chuck a tantrum until you go to the supermarket. And then you nearly, it feels like the only way to get them around the supermarket is to drag them by a back leg. Up and down the aisles as they scream, Bobby at some time, so Bobby is our youngest child, has grabbed everything in the aisle and thrown it off. You don't want to be a parent in those days. But I've discovered that that day sometimes lasts for a long time. Like, isn't marriage somewhat similar to that? Like, it's beautiful, it's incredible, it's enjoyable, but sometimes your spouse is so good at pushing your buttons. I can hear a couple of chuckles from people that are evidently are married, so know what I'm talking about. You just, they just, there's, a, there's, a, there's an itch. Sage, my wife, knows how to scratch my itches. Not in a good way. She's out in kids, so I can say all this. Not, not in a good way, but she knows exactly how to scratch my itches to make me agitated, to make me angry. And that generally happens because she's irritated by something that I've done, so then she irritates me back, and then it can become, if we don't stop it or nip it in the butt, a season of just mess, of nastiness, of arguments, of all sorts. For those of you that have dealt with loss, it's the same. It's a season. It's a, it's a journey that you travel through, learning to navigate through life now without that loved one that you've lost. In the 16th century, St. John of the Cross termed these seasons as the dark night of the soul. A struggle. An intense internal struggle that you're dealing with. He termed it as a, it's a term that's used to describe what one could call a collapse of perceived meaning in life, an eruption into life of a dense, deep sense of meaningless. Generally, throughout Fridays and our Saturdays, there's that sense, that feeling that comes with it. There's this sense of complete loss, complete compu- confusion, complete sense of meaningless. My life doesn't mean anything. So today, I think that we all find ourselves in some categories And through Easter, I believe that Jesus gives us a model on how that we can travel through difficult seasons, just like he did specifically through Easter, in order to move from Friday through to Sunday. Some of us here, we're in Fridays, we're in our days of pain. Some of us here are in our days of confusion, and some of us here are in our days of victory. The question is, how do I move from my days of pain through to my days of victory? So if you've got your Bibles, can you turn please to Matthew 26? So the background to this story 
is that Jesus has just had dinner with his disciples, what we call the Last Supper, where he shares, like, that's where we get our communion from. He takes his bread, he breaks it, he shares everyone with them a drink as well and says, this is my body that will be spilled out. So he's just had that dinner with them. He's, he's at that dinner. He's revealed to them that one was going to betray them and it's going to be happening that night. And so he leaves that dinner and then he heads to this place, which is, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And so from verse 26, it says this, Then Jesus went with them. Who is going with? He is going. He's traveling with the disciples. He went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, where he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And so he took with him Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I love it that he takes a whole group of people with him and then he takes, chooses three people from that group to just march with him a little bit further. And so he takes these three people with him and he's quite descriptive with what he's saying to him. My soul is crushed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So that word watch, it's generally it was used as far as a military term, you'd keep watch of the night. And the night was separated into three consecutive watches. But generally what would happen, specifically if there's just a small group of you, you wouldn't have a dozen people or three people or four people watching over the night watch. You would have one person keeping watch for the first segment of the night, and then he would wake the next person, he would go to sleep, and the next person would get up and watch. What I find fascinating here is that Jesus asks all three of them to watch. He says, watch with me. Keep watch with me. Not because we're about to head into battle, even though Jesus knows he's about to head into battle, but rather what he's saying is, I am struggling I'm emotionally tired. I'm emotionally exhausted. This is painful. This is emotionally painful. This is physically painful. There's a lot of weight. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of intense feelings going into this. That's why he says to them, just before he says that, my soul is crushed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He's asking them to stay alert with him, to support him, to encourage him, to journey with him. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens as far as the body of Christ is supposed to share each other's burdens. And in this way, we obey the law of Christ. Jesus is depicting just that here, where he engages with and allows his disciples, these three of his disciples to share his burdens. So often when we found ourselves in situations like this, we do the opposite. We retreat from people. We don't let people in. We don't communicate with people. We don't share what's happening. We put up a brick wall. We put on a brave face. We do everything we can to seem and appear as life is normal, even though under the surface, life's completely falling apart. What I've discovered in my life as of this age, but when I reflect back all of my life, that this is not unique to me as a 32-year-old, but this was unique to me even as a teenager and as younger. That generally you want to treat with retreat to some degree within yourself and not express what you're going through. There's some kind of safety in just dealing with things ourselves and not being expressive. And it seems to be the older we get, the more inclined we are to do just that 
and retreat to ourselves and not express to people, not allow people on a journey with us. And I love that Jesus does the opposite here in his darkest moment, his greatest struggle. He does the opposite. He draws people close to him. Just before he's to go to the cross to be crucified for these people, for these three people, he's meant to be the strength for them. He says, I need you to be the strength for me. He depicts what Galatians 6, 2 is talking about, carrying each other's bearing each other's, supporting one another in their burdens. I love it how Jesus does that, just that he seeks relationship. He is transparent with people where he's at. We need to do the same, to be transparent. Do the opposite of put up walls. Do the opposite of putting on brave faces and pretending we're not in a battle. Isn't that what we do so often when we're in the midst of an internal battle? We put up a brave face. It's easy to put up a brave face. It's more comfortable. You don't have to be vulnerable with someone. You don't have to let someone see the weakness that you're struggling with or to feel as though you're weak because now someone knows the internal struggles that you're going through. We put on these brave faces. But what I've noticed, just from watching movies, frankly, because I've never been in a battle, but if you've got an army with you, it generally makes sense the army runs into battle and fights with you as opposed to an army that just, stands in the middle of the battle, having no clue that there's a battle going on around them. But so, for so many of us, our closest friends, do not even know the struggles that are going on within our heart. The struggles that we are dealing with, the pain that we are feeling, for so many of us, we are not opening the doors for our friends, the closest people around us, to know what we are struggling with, to know what we are grappling with, for them to battle with us. And Jesus does just the opposite. He says, I need you to battle with me. When they're in the middle of a battle, we need friends. We need our closest allies to support us, to comfort us, to love us, to pray with us. God has too much for us to experience, to do, to enjoy, to simply give up on our Fridays and Saturdays. And generally when we try to battle Friday and Saturday ourselves, it lends ourselves to wanting to give up as opposed to having the encouragement of a brother and sister encouraging us to keep moving forward. Fridays and Saturdays are battle days. But when I've been in my worst battles, what I've discovered is it's my friends that battle the most for me. When I express to them my struggle, what I'm going through, they battle more than I do in that they want to see me move into a place of victory more than I do in that moment. There's, I think, a real strength, real importance in doing just that, in wanting to gravitate people around us to support us in our days of battle in order to move to days of victory. This is why small groups are important, gathering together to love one another, to support one another. And I love that Jesus depicts this just before he goes to the cross. He depicts the starting journey of how to deal with your Friday and how to deal with your Saturday. It goes on in verse 39. Just after he said this to his disciples, It says that he went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So what he's doing here is he's acknowledging to God what is about to take place. I know what is about to happen. I'm about to go to the cross to be crucified for the sins of the world. I don't want this to happen, but I'm happy for this to happen if there's no other way 
I will submit to your will to what you want to do. But what I find fascinating about this is there's the acknowledgement of he knows what's about to happen. He knows what, who's causing it. And that he knows God is sending him to the cross. So he knows what's about to happen. He knows who's causing it to happen. And this, I think, is where we really get to the, to the nitty-gritty of our days of struggles, our Fridays and our Saturdays, in that Jesus demonstrates this. I'm going to hand this internal struggle over to Jesus, to allow, over to God to allow him to be God rather than me trying to lord it over me. So he re- relinquishes over to the Father the blame. What's the first thing you normally want to do when you get to a Friday or a Saturday? The worst possible days. You want to blame someone or something. Why? Because you want to feel better. You want to project the blame onto someone, onto something in order to somehow separate yourself from what you're traveling through. And if you can do that to some degree, you feel like you're able to separate and you're able to justify potentially how you feel. I find it so fascinating that, that Jesus does just the opposite by saying, not my will, but your will. He's acknowledging what's about to take place, who's responsible for it in some regard, and that I'm comfortable with it. He relinquishes the blame. Generally, we do the opposite. We blame life or we blame God. I hate life. I hate God. This happened to me. Life's unfair. Life's this. We talked about this in relative detail last week. We blame circumstances. We blame society. Everything that's wrong in the world is society's fault. Everything that's going wrong in my life is society's fault. Where I am is society's fault. What's happening in me is society's fault. We blame technology. Technology sometimes needs to be blamed, I do believe. We blame people, like individuals. We point the blame at individuals and that I'm here because you did this. I'm here because you said that. I'm here because this happened to me that was inflicted upon me by this individual. And the biggest thing that we all blame, that no one is immune from, we blame ourselves. I'm here because I did this, because this happened, and I should have done this, and I should have done that, or this certain thing happened in my life. And if only I had had the forethought to do this, I wouldn't be here. We blame ourselves. And what I'm not trying to do is convince us or even trying to say that we shouldn't project blame, people or, people or things shouldn't be held responsible for what happens. But what we shouldn't do is allow that our only sole focus is to project blame as opposed to project forgiveness. That's what the, the whole story of the cross is, forgiveness. So that we could have a way where we can freely go to the Father and be cleansed of any wrongdoing. Forgiveness. That's a whole premise of the cross. That's a whole premise of the Easter is that God is forgiving us of everything. So often when we are in that place of our struggle, of our intense battle, the opposite of what we want to do is anything to do with forgiveness. What we want to do is we want to blame. We want someone to be held responsible. Instead of taking a certain amount of the responsibility of ourselves, I'm not trying to say for, for those people that have had an extremely rough life that was inflicted upon them by someone else that it's your fault. I'm not trying to say that at all. What I'm trying to suggest is this, that that happened, that it's not your fault, but if we keep pursuing blame, where we end up generally is always bitterness. 
Fridays and Saturdays are a part of life, but I believe that the only way we can make it to Sundays are by releasing the blame, giving the blame back to God, releasing it to Him, allowing Him to deal with it, allowing Him to navigate through those seasons with us, handing it back over instead of trying to internalize, instead of trying to project it onto someone or something else. I, I honestly believe that we can get to some kind of victory even by pointing blame. We can get to some kind of victory by doing it ourselves. But what I do know is this, that you may somewhat get there, but you never fully get there. And it'll take a whole lot longer to even get closely there as it would if you allowed people into your life to journey with you and you allowed God to take the blame as opposed to everything else. Then if we're to skip forward from Matthew 26 through to Matthew 28. And so what's happened? So we're going to go to Matthew 28 verse 1. What's happened in the, in the meantime between Matthew 26 and 27 is that after we finished reading about the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened was some soldiers turned up. They arrested Jesus. He was betrayed by Judas. He goes up, kisses Jesus on the, on the cheek. The soldiers go and grab him. They take him away. They flog him. They beat him. They crucify him. He dies on the cross. He's buried in the tomb. And so now we are arriving here after all of that has happened. And this is now the Sunday. Matthew 28 verse 1 is the Sunday. Jesus has now just moved from Friday into Saturday and now he's in Sunday. And just like our lives will do the same, they'll they'll travel from Friday through to Saturday through to Sunday. And this, for those that are in the middle of Fridays and Saturdays, this is where we're all wanting to get to. And it says this, early on from verse 1, early on Sunday morning as... The new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. I like that thought. Early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. So this is where Jesus was buried. He died and he was buried in the tomb. The reality is this. In order to move from Friday through to Saturday and then arrive at Sunday, something has to die. In order to, for Jesus to do what he did, as far as bring forgiveness of the sins of the world, something had to die, and that was him. Now, what I'm not talking about here is that in order to reach Sunday that you have to die, I'm not meaning that at all, but I'm meaning something has to die figuratively. And perhaps what has to die, for instance, we've just gone through, I won't communicate with anyone where I'm at. What needs to die in that place? Pride, generally. For those of us that project blame onto everything, what has to die? Just that, having to find blame in order to feel better. Something has to die in order for us to get to Sunday. The only way for Jesus to get to his Sunday was he had to die physically. Truth is this, we all want to arrive at the Sunday, but more often than not, we are not willing to allow something that needs to die to die in the Friday or the or the Saturday in order for us to reach Sunday. Some of us, for instance, grew up in an abusive household where a parent or a brother or a sister or someone was exceedingly violent towards you. 
So life for, for people that have grown up like that often looks like traveling through Friday to Saturday, back to Friday to Saturday, maybe just reaching Sunday, then back to and then back to, and it, it keeps going backwards and forwards like this. And there's never that time or that season where you're staying in that place of where you've arrived at Sunday. And oftentimes it's because you've never got to the place where you release forgiveness. For that person that abused them, you've never stopped projecting that towards them. And so we find ourselves still on the Friday and the Saturday because we won't allow unforgiveness to die. So therefore we remain bouncing in that Friday and Saturday, Friday and Saturday, never really arriving. Something has to die for us to make it to Sunday to step out in victory in order to get to victory. Something has to die. That is the message of the cross. Something had to die in order for Sunday to come about, in order for us to be here this morning to celebrate Easter with what it is, something had to die, and that something, that someone was Jesus. He died because he loved us. He died because he wanted to bring us victory. He died because he wanted us to experience Sunday. He died so that we could live. He died so that we could have his victory. He had to die in order for us to have our victory. The promise is this, that when we allow something to die figuratively, there is a new day dawning. That's the promise of, of Easter, and I think that's the story that Easter depicts. We all go through Fridays and Saturdays, but there is a new day dawning, and that is Sunday. That Jesus is wanting to bring about a new day in your life, a new season in your life where you're living in a state of victory, in a place of victory, in a place of joy because of the work that he's done. So if you're on a Friday, if you're on a Saturday, the promise of Easter is this, that Jesus wants to bring about in your life your Sunday. Easter, I believe, is the model that Jesus gives us to follow. Then how we, we move through turbulent seasons of our life that we'll all go through. We'll all go through these seasons. No matter how good we are, we'll all go through them. We won't avoid that. But how we can go through them in order to arrive at a place of victory. I think Easter gives a perfect model of reaching out to people, of reaching out to God. And of allowing something to die in order for us to step out into it. So often we do the opposite though. We try with all our might to do everything other than that in order to make Sunday appear when we do this, when we try with all our might, generally what happens is we lose hope and we lose faith. And once they are lost, we have lost a sense of future and purpose. And once we lose a sense of future and purpose, all we have generally is stagnation, is, is death, be it figuratively or literally or emotionally. We have bitterness, we have hurt, and we have continued feelings of sorrow and hopelessness, without releasing this, without releasing this forgiveness, without engaging with people and engaging with God and allowing them into our turbulent times, we remain in the same place going through the motions over and over again. And if we remain in the same place, in turn, we will do this. We will leave an inheritance for those around us, specifically for our children to carry. If we remain in the same place, specifically for us who are parents, We'll leave an inheritance for our children to pick up. For those that 
the struggle with bitterness, we will leave that inheritance to our children. For those that struggle with unforgiveness, we'll leave that inheritance to our children. For those that don't have children but have exceedingly close friends around us, we leave the same inheritance to them. The story of Easter is that Jesus wanted to leave an inheritance to us, one of joy, one of peace, one of love, one of comfort, one of forgiveness, one of victory. Jesus wants to leave an inheritance to us in order that we can stay in a place of victory. So the question that I'd ask us this morning is this, to start with. What inheritance are we leaving for those around us? What inheritance are we leaving to our kids? What inheritance are we leaving to our friends? Are we leaving one that is inheritance of finding Sundays and living there? Or are we finding an inheritance or leaving an inheritance that does the opposite, that leaves them in a place where they're bouncing from Friday through to Saturday, back to Friday to Saturday? I wonder what a community would look like. If we could follow this model of what Easter depicts, of traversing through turbulent seasons in order to arrive at victory with Jesus by our side. I wonder what could happen in a community when that was the inheritance that we left them. What could change if people actively realized that Easter is relevant for their lives? What could actively change in their lives if there was a realization that through the story of Easter, Jesus wants to bring about a change in your life and in my life? And perhaps the other question is this, what will remain the same if we remain where we are, if we don't change anything that what we're doing? In 2018, what could Easter teach us? I believe it reveals to us a model of how to traverse through the tough seasons of life by engaging people to come on the journey with us, to embrace them, to allow them to fight for us and with us, to release to God, to talk to God to release the bitterness to him to him and allow ultimately forgiveness to transpire in our hearts and allow something in us to die in order to step into the place of victory. So I'll ask you to stand this morning. We'll all go through turbulent seasons. We'll all go through Fridays. We'll all have our Saturdays. And the plan, the story of Easter, the hope of Jesus is that we all arrive at a Sunday. I don't know where everyone is, but if you're in your Friday or your Saturday. My encouragement for you this morning is this. Let the story of Easter encourage you that Jesus wants to bring about in you your Sunday. That Jesus wants to love you into victory. That Jesus wants to encounter you in such a way that he leads you into your Sunday. That he leads you into that place of victory. How about you raise your hands and I'm going to pray. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please subscribe to hear more sermons from Epicenter Church.